Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. You can get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation simply by listening to the radio program and every now and then acting on that which you learn, you know, on the show. Dr. Franklin Weefold is here. Hello, sir. Hello. It is uh, an interesting day for us uh, because we got a lot to talk about, including um, what happened to Bob Saget. We, we touched right. on it a little bit before, but I think people need to uh, know the the extent of his injuries the weirdest of things i not only read the articles you send me to to print out and i I did i also read the comments often on the websites where they occur and almost everyone has the same sort of thing where they they don't want to say what they don't want to say but at the same time they're saying you know there's some story here that we have not been made aware of. Well, and yeah, they said there were no drugs in his system. That's right. There was. Oh, really? Clonazepam. What is it? Clonazepam is like Valium. Um, it's thought to be a more gentle, I mean, I put it that way, Yeah. less sedating, um, a benzodiazepine. So what does that do? It, it calms the brain down. Um, right. And I use it for people who have what we call restless leg syndrome at night. It relaxes the smooth muscles and and the skeletal muscles, and it calms the brain down. Um, You know, I I just, I can't put the pieces of the puzzle together, David. I just can't. You can't imagine that medicine causing someone to fall. Well, the the only way I can put the puzzle together is understanding his injuries um, some have described it as being like hit with a baseball bat. Right. Um, and so he fractured his skull in several places in the back of his head. But not only that, yeah. his orbits were fractured. Okay, so what does that mean? I mean, the orbits obviously are the bones behind the eye. Right. They orbit the eye. And they were fractured. And um, he had what's called a subdural hematoma. Now, that is when the blood vessels between the covering of the brain and the brain itself mm-hmm. rupture. And so the blood pours out and forms a hematoma, which is a collection of blood, um, like, like a tumor, but it's full of blood. Right. And it compresses the brain. Um, so, uh, you know, falling backwards, uh, perhaps that could do it, I suppose. Um, and then maybe he staggered over to his bed and was sedated enough by his clonazepam to not really know that he needed to call 911 and yeah. just fell there and then his brain got compressed and then he died. But I, I don't think in, in all my 35 years of dealing with this problem of head trauma that right. I've seen anything like this. Right. So let me, let me give you the closest example. Um, There was a guy who came in to a hospital who was on warfarin, which is our classic um, uh, anticoagulant. I don't want to use the term blood thinner, but out there, 
that probably the listeners know as a blood know this term as a sure blood yeah it doesn't make your blood runny right it just makes it clot less so the number one use for this would be for atrial fibrillation when the upper chamber of the heart is quivering and the blood's not flowing smoothly and it clots due to it's you know just standing there and it just doesn't allow it to clot as quick yep. so this guy fell he had a what we call a syncopal episode he fainted and his head hit the concrete yes and the head weighs how many pounds i don't know don't you remember that movie i didn't go to jerry mcguire remember with a little kid saying the human head weighs seven pounds <laughs> is, and it really does. is that about right it really does okay so um this went to court um because the trauma doctor in the er didn't do a ct scan he just yeah. says oh you knocked your head the guy was conscious uh, he said he's not having pain and there were no skull fractures this head hit the ground you know falling from yeah. the guy was 510 yeah and he got up and was okay um they didn't do a ct scan of the head and the guy died about an hour later after he went home right because he had this subdural hematoma made much more probable by the fact that he was on an anticoagulant. But in the court, I'll never forget this, um, the lawyer got a seven-pound bowling ball. Oh, no. Okay? And it was a concrete floor, well, a hard floor in, sure. the, in the courtroom. And there was objections right and left. Objection, objection. And the judge let him drop it. So oh. he dropped it from seven, you know, five foot ten, and the noise when it hit the ground. Oh, my gosh. You know, and trying to tell people that, you know, head trauma is not something you should just poo-poo. And even if you have head trauma and your initial CT scan in the ER is negative, yeah, don't think that you can't have consequences, even if there's no skull fracture. Because ripping those little tiny veins right. between the brain and the outer lining of the brain, sometimes it takes a while for the blood to accumulate. And I don't know if you remember um, when you were a kid, if you knocked your head, the doctor says, don't let him sleep. Right. Don't let her sleep. Is it serious? Yeah, that's actually a real thing. Okay. Or wake them up um, because uh, that's one of the big signs that you're having a bleed into your brain is that you're drowsy. Right. So, you know, you want to wake somebody up and make sure they're communicating and et cetera. Yeah. And, and so that's actually a good thing. So if you have head trauma and there's a loss of consciousness, right. that means the trauma was enough to disturb the brain function. Okay. I mean, getting knocked out. I mean, just imagine Muhammad Ali and that huge fist hitting your head. That's yeah. a knockout. Yeah. And so what happens is all the electricity in the brain comes to a standstill right the brain stops functioning for a short period of time that is a sign that you really took uh, a large amount of energy transferred from either the floor or someone's fist right to the brain and therefore uh, i recommend that if you're and again this is not overkill okay if there was enough trauma to cause a loss of consciousness, right. you need to take your son or daughter or yourself or your wife or loved one to the ER. And you need to describe exactly what happened, how far the fall was, right. um, what happened, trip hit the um, edge of the uh, counter, and they need to do a scan. And the first scan has to be for skull fractures. 
because that's another sign of tremendous uh, trauma to the head. And then even if there's no bleeding in the brain, there needs to be an observation period. And if there's any change in the level of consciousness or the functioning of the arms and legs, another CT. Don't just rely on the first one. Because like I said just recently, um, the blood can take a while to accumulate. Right. And um, there's a subdural hematoma, and then there's something that is a super emergency, and that's called an epidural hematoma. So on the side of your skull, right below the skull itself, before the brain, before the covering, is called the epidural artery. So the dura is that coating of the brain. And I saw this once. It's amazing. Um, a guy um, was on a football field. This is in high school. Sure. And he lost his helmet. And oh. this is back when there was no targeting, right? Right. So you could use your helmet and tackle somebody with the helmet forward and dive into the player with your helmet. Well, hit the guy's head square on the side with the player's helmet onto the player who'd lost his helmet. And he got up and was okay. And then about five minutes later, collapsed. Yeah. And that is the key sign of an epidural hematoma. So this is not like the subdural where you get the slow accumulation of blood. This is a lacerated artery. Right. And it's bleeding boom, and boom, with the heartbeat. And so there was a neurosurgeon in the crowd no kidding. Who recognized this. And what did he do? Hmm. Save the kid's life. How did he save it? Oh, he did not. He, he drilled a hole he did. in the skull. And, and no, it was please, the most please. amazing thing that there was a guy, and the neurosurgeon goes, is there somebody here with a drill? Good golly no. And the guy went to his truck, came back with a drill, and I'll never forget this. Um, everybody's freaking out except the neurosurgeon. I mean, he was cool as a cucumber. I guess, that, uh, wait, excuse me, cool as a refrigerated cucumber, okay? okay? As right, opposed right. to one sitting sure. on the side. Sure. Okay, and thank you for sharing that. Put yes. the hole right where he knew it had to be. And yeah. then there was a geyser of blood. I mean, a geyser. Yeah, yeah, Old yeah. faithful. Must have been 10 feet in the air. That's how much pressure had built up. And the kid woke up immediately good heavens yeah and so the ambulance came and they took him to the neurosurgery place and they repaired the artery and so head trauma is nothing to um you know not worry about worry about head trauma all right i want to circle back all right circle back to bob sack no but but first i want to mention something because this happened we've probably witnessed this a thousand times if not ten thousand times What's that? on television oh get knocked in the head they knock somebody out and then they walk away from them well yeah and the most boxers do um have you ever heard of a ct scan on a boxer after he's been ko'd that's no knocked out ko'd no i would um as a doctor um especially if they've taken an aspirin you know sure uh any type of anticoagulant or antithrombotic agent raises that risk of an intracranial hemorrhage tremendously. So, okay. you know, I'm not saying, um, you know, if, you're, if your kid's got a goose egg from hitting the table, you know, accidentally. I, d- I don't think I'd panic. But 
if you don't know the severity of the injury, right, um, and there is evidence of head trauma, and if there is, you know, um, a difference in the level of cognition, I'm being I'm being really medical here. It's today. okay, you're a doctor. If the guy can... gets goofy, okay. okay. <laughs> All right, thank you. If the guy gets goofy, um, you can't go wrong, right? In taking somebody to the ER and getting it looked at. And if the doctor poo-poos you, um, I would be very insistent yeah. on a head CT. Now, a head CT is not very expensive. It takes a little bit of time. Sure. Um, and you're going to see if there's a fracture. You're going to see if there's an intracranial hemorrhage, which could be life-threatening. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if what happened to Bob Saget. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that he was in the bathroom. Yeah. He slipped. And he hit the back of his head on the counter edge. Yes. And, you know, the human head weighs seven pounds. Maybe what I'll do to see how bad it is is get a seven-pound bowling ball. Yes. And sort of drop it from Bob Saget's height onto the edge of the counter. Not in this studio you won't. But how did he break his orbits? Maybe just maybe he twisted and fell. You know, hit hit his head on the uh, counter in the bathroom, well, then turned over and smacked his face. Uh, Maybe that's what happened. And, and you're not the only doctor who is publicly saying, huh, this thing doesn't make any sense. But remember, yeah. okay, um, just because you hear zebras does not mean, no, just because you hear hoofbeats <laughs> does not mean it's zebras. And what we used to say that all the time because at in medical school, you always wanted to come up with this weird diagnosis. Yeah. So, you know, my professors would say, Dr. Wayfall, just because you hear hoofbeats, it's not zebras. Yeah. Most of the time. Okay. And I would say, well, sometimes it is. All right. Yeah. We're going to talk about Elon Musk. You're not going to believe this. Uh, okay. I, I, no, no, no. We, all, we, right, we, all right. All right. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. We're going to talk about the long-term effects of COVID, and I'm going to follow up on your discussion of subdural hematoma. Believe it or not, I've got a question about subdural hematoma. Okay. It involves me. That's coming up next. Uh This is Heart Health Radio. Listen to Heart Health Radio on Apple Podcasts or at hearthealthradio.com. I love that song. You know that it was. I could talk forever about the monkeys. Yeah, um, I know a lot about them, but we want to talk about the shameful Elon Musk story that's come out. Yeah, you know, I will say this: um, he is the man of the century. Okay, there's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to a 12 year old kid in South Africa who tells their parents, "I'm gonna make." history yeah first what did he do paypal first online uh payment system mm-hmm. it's huge mm-hmm. then he took that money when he sold it and founded spacex mm-hmm. and they had a little island out in the specific pacific where they were blowing up rockets for years until they made it work and then he sort of did a takeover of tesla i don't know if you know he didn't found tesla oh he didn't he just made it work yeah. okay it was a couple of guys 
who had a great idea but didn't know how to make it. Okay, so this guy is a genius in every sense of the word. And, you know, he's got a couple of crazy ideas, though. And that's the problem with brilliant people is that, you know, they have 100 ideas a day. Yeah. And 99 of them are crazy. Yes. He's had three really good ideas. I think the tunneling thing, you know, the boring company. Yeah. I think that's kind of ridiculous, to tell you the truth. Um, But that's okay. You know, I mean, he's trying to make trying to make it work. Yeah, that started. He was caught in traffic in in Los Angeles. He said, what if I could just make a tunnel and just drive through the tunnel? That's the boring company. Well, this Neuralink. It's literally called the boring company. Well, but see, he likes to do things that have a little cachet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's boring. He did another thing. I don't know if you know this. He had Tesla selling flamethrowers for a while. Remember that? (laughs) You know? All right, let's talk about the but monkeys. But anyway, the monkeys. Um, so he wants to put a chip in everybody's brain so uh, that they can do thought control. Okay, so wait. you want to answer the phone, you don't have to say it out loud. Right. You'll just, you know, communicate. So I'm going to, I got a chip in my brain and I'm going to communicate to you, David. You ready? Yeah. I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it. You didn't know. I was saying that it was cruel what they're doing. What's um, it? So how do you test this? You can't put it in a mouse, right? Okay. Because the mouse yeah. brain is pretty small and doesn't have higher cognitive function. Right. So they're taking macaque monkeys, and I, you know, they're just a smaller kind of monkey, and they're used in medical research, and they're opening up their skull, and they're implant, implanting these chips. Now, I don't even know how you design a chip like this oh. because you don't. we don't even understand how the brain works. Right. We don't understand... A lot of things. Now, they do have these hats that people can wear, and they are training people to think thoughts. It's absorbed by the hat in terms of electromagnetic energy. Yes. So your brain creates magnetism. It's electrical. Uh-huh. And when those signals go back and forth, there's a magnetic field that shows up outside your skull. This is truth. Okay. I, I saw this on Gilligan's Island. Rightio. The skipper ended up as Gilligan. Gilligan right. ended, ended up as the skipper. Like ginger. But it is true and, that okay. they are teaching people to manipulate, you know, people who are quadriplegic. They yes. are teaching them to move pens uh-huh. and write their name and move artificial limbs with thought control. But it's right. very, very uh, uh, early on. The computer chips. How's but this working out the, for the I don't monkeys? know, because how do you connect a chip to a neuron? I don't. Maybe they're trying to do the same thing with magnetism. I don't know. But these monkeys, they're chewing off their fingers. Oh, my word. Oh, my God. They're self-mutilating, um, and they're dying of brain hemorrhages. So... PETA, who I don't really like that much, has really gone off the, the deep end on this. And I I kind of agree. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought that I'd ever agree with PETA? But, and I don't mean the bread. Mm-hmm. I agree with PETA bread. Oh, yeah. It's I, very I don't delicious. Like, you like that? Yeah, it's delicious. I don't, you know, hummus and PETA, I'm okay with. How but, about the other PETA? Uh, people for the ethical treatment of animals? Yeah. I think it should be called people eating tasty animals, okay? But anyway. Oh. Come on, Mr. Musk. And I have to call him Mr. Musk. I don't think I have the right to call him by his first name because there is a lot of admiration coming from the Wi-Fi about Elon Musk. Yeah. I mean, I'm driving a a Ford electric car. Oh, yeah. Based on the technology, I'm not a greenie. Um, I do wear 
um, Birkenstocks, but that's that doesn't uh, make yeah. me a greenie. It's the technology, and it's a, it's far better than a combustion engine, and we can talk about that later. Um, it doesn't reduce uh, greenhouse gases because it's got to run off of electrical plants, right? Which are gas powered, except for the nuclear ones down south in North Carolina. Right. But anyway, the guy is a genius. The guy has done great things. But I think this Neuralink. Uh, you might want to rethink that a little bit, Mr. Musk. Because the monkeys are suffering. Right. There's a a story about a Russian skater. Yeah, this is so sad. And and she is um, a really, really great skater, Camilla Valieva. And she's Uh only 15 years old. Yeah. And she was going to win it all. I mean, she's just great. Now, it wasn't at the Olympics that her drug scheme became positive. It was six weeks ago. And she was in some tournament, and she gave you her own sample. And guess why it only took till now? I don't know. They were over, the lab was overloaded with COVID tests. Ah, uh, yeah. So then they finally did it. And the drug is called trimetazidine. Okay, have you ever heard of it? No. I hadn't either. Although, I think it, it, it reminded me, and it might have been the same drug, that another skater in Russia got caught with. And what is it? It's a heart drug, believe it or not. Right. And it's not the drug that we use here. But what does it do? It makes your body and your heart muscles metabolize to glucose. And that gives your heart muscles supposedly more energy and therefore mm-hmm. less angina, which is caused by a lack of energy or oxygen to the heart. So they think that it makes your muscles work better. Sure. But we don't use it in the United States. You know what? Uh, it doesn't work. Oh, okay. And so they think that her grandpa was taking the drug, although I'd like to see that prescription. Maybe in Russia you don't need prescription for trimetazidine. But it's sad because it somehow got into her system. Right. And it just destroyed her career. It's just sad. Right. Huh? We're going to talk a, a little bit. Um, we may be the only radio show in America, talking about this this weekend, we're going. No, don't turn the radio off. We're going to talk about. <laughs> we're going to talk about space herpes. Yeah, and there is an explanation for why we're going to talk about it. That's coming up in a little bit. Also, cardiologist burnout. Not this guy, but I'm burned out. You are. I'm going to describe right. my burnout. I'm right. burned out. This is coming up next. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. You know, it's funny. We, we didn't even mention the f- telephone number and the fact that this is a call-in program yeah. and you ought to call. Call. 919-860-9783. 919-860-9783. And any questions, you know, that somebody has a concern about their health. If you're a monkey out there with a chip in your brain and yeah. you can call. Yes. You don't even have to you think. M- you might even have to reach yeah. for the phone if yeah, you've got the chip. just connect to someone's iPhone and call in. All right. The phone is ringing, but I want to sneak this in. There we're finding that astronauts in at the space station are breaking out with herpes. What is no? Please don't play herpes. The final frontier. <laughs> to boldly go where no astronaut has gone before. <laughs> See, no, it's not a. 
I'm surprised they haven't talked about this earlier. Okay, so um, herpes is a virus from uh-huh. chicken pox, and yeah. it lives in the uh, nerves along the spinal cord. Right. And it just stays there. And there's two types of herpes, oral, which is herpes labialis, and vaginal and penile. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's sexually transmitted. But believe it or not, oral herpes can be sexually transmitted as well. So what causes the herpes outbreaks? Okay, so you're going along, and cold sores, that's the herpes labialis we'll talk to. That's what's happening. Sure. So that the virus is living in the spinal, near the spinal cord. What causes it to travel down that nerve and erupt on your lip? Stresses, not emotional stress can do it because it alters the immune system. So your immune system, the T cells, are fighting off the eruption of the virus. It's keeping it, you know, um, um, sleeping. Yeah. What happens in outer space? I don't know. Cosmic radiation. Now, this is one of the dangers of being an astronaut. When they went to the moon, it was equivalent to about three CT scans. Okay. And there's something called the Van Allen Belt, which is uh, cosmic rays, radioactive cosmic rays that are trapped around the Earth by the magnetic um, field that yeah. the Earth generates, you know, yeah. north, south, east, and west. Yeah, I got that, yeah. And so when you're out in the cosmic rays, your immune system is being, um, in a small way, suppressed. Okay. And next thing you know, they all got cold sores. So the the advice I have to every astronaut, yes. okay, to avoid herpes, is keep your Van Allen belt on, okay? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. What we need to just accept yeah, is that when you're going to be living in outer space and you have a history of cold sores, you're going to have a very high chance of getting one. And the other thing down yeah, below, yeah. which we won't mention. And, there, and there's no connection between this and the fact that Kirk always seemed to get a girlfriend at whatever planet i guess you know there's no no yeah maybe kirk needed some vulcan mind control to keep his van allen belt on (laughs) you know john in raleigh (laughs) welcome to the radio program you are on heart health radio hi hi john what's up about a bundle branch block yeah and i've been diagnosed with that i've never heard of it before so it, it must be fairly rare my question actually it's not yeah or does it is it come from bad diet or yeah i'll tell you um did they uh, first question are you a righty or a lefty in terms of your bundle so you have a right bundle branch block okay no actually left oh you're left okay have you ever had a heart attack no but the heart has stopped what do you mean stopped you have a pacemaker or something no, I it it happened. It stopped twice. Oh my God! Once was when I had a kidney blockage, uh-huh. and when I was on the way to the hospital, they said, "Oh, you have a bundle branch block." Okay, I get it now. All right, yeah. so imagine in your mind four chambers of the heart: two upper and two lower. Right. Mm-hmm. The way that the heart beats is that there is a small area of tissue that that less electricity flow out of it. That's called the sinoatrial node, and that's in the top right part of your heart. Then the electricity spreads over the two top chambers, allowing them to beat. And then it goes into what we call the AV node, the atrioventricular node, which is a pauser, okay? It's kind of like it, it gets the electricity and says, hold on a minute, 
and then, well, it's actually 40 milliseconds or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then it spreads it down the middle of the heart, and it's carried by two bundles of tissue. One is the right bundle, and that goes to the right heart, and then one is the left bundle, which splits into the left anterior and left posterior and allows electricity to flow to the left heart. And believe it or not, the right and left heart beat at the same time. Boom, they beat. Well, you have an area in the right part of, part of the heart that does not conduct electricity anymore. So your right bundle freezes, and as the electricity gets down there, it stops going. And so that doesn't mean your right heart fails. The left bundle takes over. And so as the left electricity goes down the left bundle, it spreads over to the right heart and mm-hmm. takes over. But there is a very particular type of uh, EKG that has the left bundle blockage in it. So your right bundle works fine, but the left bundle doesn't conduct the electricity anymore. So the right bundle carries that electricity and then transfers it over to the left side and takes over. Now, sometimes it just happens, okay, that for some reason, maybe it was a virus you had or something else, the left bundle's not functioning anymore. It can be benign, okay? You can have a left bundle branch block and go on for the rest of your life with nothing wrong. It all depends upon how the right bundle takes over and where the, its transfer of electricity to the left side is functioning well enough that the heart beats well. I have several patients who developed a left bundle from a heart attack. Now, why would that happen? Because the electrical conduction tissue needs blood flow too. Mm -hmm. So if that area of the heart has interrupted blood flow and part of that tissue dies, the left bundle will die. But like I said, if the right bundle's good, it'll take over the supply of electricity to the left heart and you'll be fine. Sometimes the right bundle goes out too. And what happens then? You need a pacemaker. Because the right and left bundles no longer conduct electricity, so there's not a whole lot to conduct. And the ventricles have to actually beat on their own. And believe it or not, most of the time they will. They'll, they, you have a, a secondary pacemaker down in the bottom of the heart that says, hey, wait a minute, there's no electricity coming down, so I better help. Believe it or not, there's one in there. Hmm. Um, you should be fine as long as you get checked out and make sure your heart muscle is functioning well. And that's an echocardiogram. It takes a sound wave picture of the heart. Because very rarely, when you lose that left bundle, the left heart gets weak. Mm-hmm. And you have to get what's called a biventricular pacemaker, which puts a pacemaker behind the heart and the vein and beats the left heart and the right heart simultaneously to reestablish that functioning of the left heart muscle. How are you feeling? Good? No problem? Yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling fine now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so have you had an ultrasound to make sure your heart's pumping strong? Yes. Great, and it's fine. Yes. Yes. So the only thing that, you know, you need to watch out for is whether you develop chest discomfort and and have angina. That could mean the left bundle came from a small blocked artery that hasn't affected the the cholesterol buildup, hasn't affected the big arteries. The other thing to be careful of is dizziness. Don't don't pass off dizziness as just an incident because if the right bundle goes, then there's no electricity flowing down 
and your heart beats real slow or pauses for a few seconds. But for the most part, if you're healthy otherwise and you've got this what we call incidental right bundle branch block or left bundle branch block, you just need to get checked out a couple times and make sure you're okay, and then don't worry about it. Well, thanks for the explanation. It's something you don't hear about. Well, you know what? It's more common than you think. I had uh, an office uh, clinic where I saw about 25 patients yesterday, and yeah. about three or four had a bundle branch block. It's not that uncommon. Well, and maybe, you know, for me, because I'm a cardiologist, I'll see more of it. But, um, you know, that's why, you know, an EKG on somebody is helpful because, you know, sometimes the left bundle does mean that there is a problem that needs to be connected, excuse me, corrected. I got one of those neural links that's misfiring. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. But listen, let us know how you do over time. Give us a call back and sort of wave the flag saying you're still doing great. Thanks for the explanation. All right. I hope that made sense. Sure. Um, because I, this is my job. I, I explain it, things. It even made sense to me. Well, I mean, is, that's because your Neuralink is working. Okay. I'm, a, I'm imagining the entire, John, all the wiring system to be like in very heavy wires, and I'm sure it's not. Well, it, you know, they are bundles of tissue, yeah. um, and you can distinguish them under a microscope if you're really smart. Okay. But it's amazing. And you know what? It's not, it's not the electricity you think of. It's potassium uh-huh. and sodium moving in and out of, of cells really quickly. And that's what a battery is, right? It's sure. ions moving, and that's electricity too. John, thank you. Thanks. So. Have All a great right. time. Take care. Be good. All right. Telephone number is 919-860-9783. Hey, did you hear about Seattle what? and their soda tax? No. Okay. We've talked about the unintended consequences or the fact that, you know, government tries to organize things and often enough it doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. Is this the Big Mac attack? No. Well, Seattle. The Coca Cola tax? Concerned about obesity, the city council decided that they were going to put in a soda tax and raise the price of an individual soda about 30 cents. Uh huh. I'd pay 30 cents for a Coke more. Okay. So would I. That's what makes it funny. Is yeah. that you really have to raise it. I mean, you, can, you have to understand. Sugar to my, yeah. is addictive in the, yeah. in this sense that it tastes so good. Uh-huh. So yesterday, I was telling you, I had twenty some, thirty some patients. Yeah. The end of the week, you know, I'm tired. My brain isn't functioning. Yes. I wound up with a sugar high at the end of the day. Because you just... You, I had two cokes at yeah, lunch. Yeah. And then I'm I'm really excited about this drink that um, is called Squirt. Have you ever heard of it? It's a uh, no. it's a grapefruit-based drink. Yeah. And there's no caffeine in it, but man, there's sugar in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I recognize my sugar high at the end of the day. And it's terrible because, you know, the no-no diet that I espouse, one of those number one no's is sugar. I mean, it really is bad for you. It contributes... To the obesity epidemic, 100% agree that it contributes to the obesity epidemic because yes. that sugar is metabolized, and to make a long story short, that's what fat is made from. It's yeah. not made from the fat you eat. Yes. It's made from the white flour and the sugar products because those things, your body wants to store as much energy for the future as possible. Okay. And anything you don't use right away, because the brain requires yeah. sugar, glucose. Sure. It's going to be stored as fat. And 
I'm not so sure I would tax it. Well, here's you know? here's the ups here's yeah. the here's the story. The story is they put a tax on soda to cut down on people drinking soda. Yeah. People drank beer instead. Oh, okay. It, it yeah. was uh, to me it's the most the most perfect example of government trying to step in mm-hmm. and finding out, you know, we could there's a limited amount that we can do. If we want to stop people from drinking a particular beverage, we can tax it, but they're just going to switch to a non-healthy alternative. Yeah. Well, you know, there's non-alcoholic beer out there now, O'Doul's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. it wasn't called O'Doul's when my dad was growing up, and he had a say. It was called near beer. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah N-E-A-R, yeah. near beer. Yeah. And my dad <laughs> used to say that the old saying was, the man who invented near beer yeah. Had a poor sense of distance. <laughs> it wasn't like beer. It wasn't like beer. Mm-hmm. All right. Belinda from Middlesex. Hey, how hey, are you, Belinda? Belinda? Hey. How's our man doing? Oh, that's why I'm calling. He yeah. thinks you're the best doctor there is in the world. Man. Well, let's talk about what he had. Okay. Um, so, so this is your stepson, right? Right. And William O'Neill, and I took care of Belinda O'Neill's husband, and I take care of Belinda. So there was a call from Belinda. It was not a 911 call. It was a Wi-Fi call, yeah. okay, that William had gout. And what is gout? Gout can be extremely painful. As I demonstrated to William, the right great toe, the metatarsal yeah. phalangeal joint, yeah. number one, between the big toe and the foot. Yeah. And gout crystals and those are composed of uric acid and for some reason we don't understand why used to be thought that if you ate a lot of purines okay rich people meat and liver you would get the the uric acid level up in the blood it deposits in the joint so they're actual crystals i mean if you pull out the the juice the fluid and put it under microscope you can see crystals in there and so i he comes in and (laughs) i should have known better because he's got his his shoe off, and there's the toe, and it's red oh and fiery and swollen. What did I do? I don't know. I squoze it. You squoze it? I squeezed it. That's And terrible. my God, the blood-curdling scream that came out. The, the saying is, if you've got gout in the toe, it's so painful, you can't even let the bed sheet sit on it. Yes. Let alone have the Weefy's index and thumb <laughs> squeezing it. So what did I do? Yes. I gave him a shot of Toradol, which is an intravenously injected non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agent. So it's like intravenous Motrin. But boy, it goes right to the place and it reduces the inflammation. Yeah. And I also gave Decadron, which is a steroid-like uh, prednisone or uh-huh. Medrol. And how, how soon after he went home did the foot stop hurting? Uh- about like you said, about two hours since yeah. it started easing yeah. off. And then I gave him a medicine to take, colchicine, which is a weird medicine. It prevents tubules from forming in the white blood cells and calms them down so it doesn't irritate. Because, see, the white blood cells are trying to eat up that those crystals. Yeah. And so we calm them down, and then I gave him oral prednisone, which is another anti-inflammatory. And he's doing pretty good, huh? Good. He's able to walk today where it was like. Good. Just and so. All he could do was move yesterday. Yep. Then we're going to start in a couple days. Yeah. Uh, allopurinol, which is going to reduce the levels of uric acid in the bloodstream and prevent 
the gout. So allopurinol is not the treatment you give right away. If your doctor wants to give you allopurinol and and not, you know, anti-inflammatories, don't take it. Um, you want to wait for the allopurinol after the initial um, crystals are being, uh, I'm sorry, the inflammation caused by the crystals is being brought down. Well, this is one of the reasons why I was tired the other day, uh-huh. yesterday. I mean, you were, what? And, and you know, I, I tell people I run my own little emergency room. Yeah. I mean, you know, Belinda's been a patient for 20 years. Her husband was a patient until he passed. And now, you know, William, the son, is a patient. And I'm not going to let them go. Have to go to the emergency room Good to do you. that. Good so he you. You, he walked in the door, sat down, screamed bloody murder when I shouldn't have done what I did. Yes, yes. yes. Got the the, the medicines injected. Got him home, and he was better. Yep. And so, and you know what else was great about that? What's that? Is I'm going to get 86 bucks from Medicare. <laughs> Okay, that's fine because it was kind of fun for me to see that I could make a difference in someone's life. Right. Emergency room, you know what the bill would have been? No. Yeah. 2500 bucks. And we would probably still have been sitting there this morning yeah. at that time. And with this COVID yeah. going on, we'd have probably both ended up with the COVID. And this is my yeah. idea of the future, is we should be going to doctor's offices. We should be going to doctor's offices. Instead of emergency rooms for non emergency thing. All right, Belinda, I'm going to put you on hold. I got to squawk at you during the during the break, but thank you very much for calling. This is Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Well, you know you make me wanna shout, kick my heels up and shout, throw my hands up and shout, throw my head back. Get better, stay healthy and spot medical misinformation by listening to the Heart Health Radio Network. Right here. Who are we shouting out? Well, I want to shout out Sarah Ward and her five-month-old son, Logan. Oh, yes. Because they taught me something yeah. that I didn't know. It's called, um, it, it's weird, tourniquet syndrome from a hair. Yeah. So what this, what this is, and apparently it's more common than usual uh, than I thought, because have you, have you ever had like a, like a indentation in your finger that really hurt? I've never had it, but apparently it's common. And you cannot see the hair. So what happens is somehow a hair gets wrapped around your digit. Yeah. And it's going to cut off the flow of blood. So uh, you should see these pictures in this article. I did. They're um, terrible. Yeah. It, it looks like, you know, a tourniquet, a tiny, very thin tourniquet wrapped around the toe. And it was cutting off the flow of blood. And she went to the ER and the CR doctor recognized it. Could not see the hair. I mean, because the hair is so fine in yeah. a baby. Yeah. And you know how babies can lift their their feet up to their head and, you know, okay. play with their toes. And apparently the hair was long enough that a single hair wrapped around the toe and was cutting off, you know, everything, the supply of blood. So the doctor was able, you know, he put on some magnifying glasses and was able to just cut that toe hair. And yeah. boom, it saved it. So... Tourniquet syndrome in your baby's toe right. from a single hair wrapping around and cutting it off. Unbelievable. Yeah. I want to ask about something that occurred to me while we were talking about the Bob Saget story. Mm-hmm. And you followed up with a story. You got Alyssa, if you just tuned into the show, you have to wait until we get it up on the website on Apple Podcasts. And let me just tell you, you got to hear that story that you told but the football player. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
there, it is possible, to, of course, to get a brain bleed. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. You said that there's an increased chance if you're on what co- is commonly known as a blood thinner. Radio. I'm on Plavix. Yeah, yeah, so you're at higher risk. I'm at higher risk. Yeah, so let's go over what the blood thinners do. There's several types. Yeah. Okay. Heparin. Okay, heparin is an anticoagulant. So how heparin, how, how does heparin work? Heparin is the thing they give you in your vein when you have a clot in your leg and they've got to really get you anticoagulated very quickly. Right. What heparin does is it works with a protein in your blood and it binds to it and it's called antithrombin-3. So heparin binds to this protein you have in your in your blood already and then binds to thrombin and prevents the thrombin from forming a, a, a protein clot. Uh-huh. Then you have platelets. Okay, platelets are little teeny-weeny blood cells that work with the proteins in your bloodstream to clot off bleeding areas. So you're on Plavix, which is an anti-thrombotic. It works on the platelet it prevents the platelet from being sticky right. that's what aspirin does so there's right. brylinta which you get it after you've had a stent too it's sort of a second third generation plavix and it also helps prevent the platelets from clotting but what does warfarin and eliquis do warfarin and eliquis and xarelto they work on the proteins so they make the proteins less likely to work in this cascade causing a clot so they're different types yeah so people say i'm on plavix does that mean i have afib i don't need the the eloquence and no they work in different ways and surprisingly the the clots that form from afib don't get prevented by the clots that prevent the platelets they get prevented by the clot by the medicines that prevent the protein based clots so Different things for different folks. All right. Does that make sense? It does. I, yeah. I banged my knee the other day, and it, it did not do what I thought it was going to uh-huh. do, which was blow up uh-huh. like like crazy. Yeah. They, you know, I, I would tend to bruise more easily. Let me see your arms. You're Here, pointing. Let me see your arms. Yeah, my arms Not fine. bad. So no, let no, me no. tell you a story that was tragic. Yeah. Um, lady was, yeah, 72 years old, had a stent was put on Brelinta and aspirin to prevent the stent from clotting. And she would go to the beauty parlor once a week and sit under the beehive and yak with her friends. Friends are kind of mean. And so her skin was thin, and because of the aspirin and the Brelinta, she had bruises all over her arms. Right. And they made fun of her. You know, they said, look at those bruises. Yeah, so ugly. So what did she do? She stopped taking She stopped her aspirin and Brelinta. Had a massive heart attack and died. That is the worst story Tragic. of the Tragic. Don't mock people. Don't of make fun of somebody who has bruises on their arms and right. are taking anticoagulants. Another Ooh. hour of Heart Health Radio coming up right here. Heart Health Radio is for information purposes only. Before taking any action, consult your doctor. The following is a paid program, and the views expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPTF or Curtis Media Group. Information provided is of a general nature. Listeners seeking specific advice should contact a licensed professional in the appropriate area.
Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation just by listening to Heart Health Radio. Dr. Franklin Weefald in the studio. You all right? Your headphones not working? Got it. You got it. Now you wiggle the wiggle the handle on the headphones. Sometimes they work. We're going to talk this hour about the American Heart Association taking a stand against pot. Marijuana, as we used to say. They call it weed now. All the kids refer to it as weed. They're listening to their jazz music yeah. and they're calling it weed. And, weed. You know. you know what's the funny thing is? Yeah. You mean the American Heart Association up until this point hadn't thought of just having a stance on this? I mean, well, it's, it just it's occurred to them? Well, I, yeah, I guess so. I, I think be, uh, part of the drive now <laughs> to really look at the health aspects of marijuana has to be uh, from many states making it legal and making recreational use legal. Yeah. Huh. I have some patients who are just, I mean, they smoke marijuana from 8 a.m. till 10 p.m. Huh. And in fact, they as they drive around Smithfield, they do what's called a hot box, okay? Yes. They smoke it with the windows up. Yes. And they all five of them in the car are smoking. And so yes. the reason why is you're at a secondhand tobacco smoke. This is secondhand marijuana smoke. Yeah, yeah. And you can you can tell because it's five people in a car, the windows are rolled up, and it's smoky inside. And that's <laughs> called hot boxing the car. Now, here's the problem. Yeah. It gets on your clothes, and it emanates out from, you know, vaporous, you know, emanations from the clothes. Sure. And I told this woman, um, you got to <laughs> stop this. I'm getting high in the office just from being in the room with you. And she laughed, but it was true. I wasn't getting high, but I could smell it. And right. it was just, you know, I don't like the smell of, of marijuana smoke. Right. What they're finally coming around to is that people like this woman who are not just, you know, occasional users to get, you know, nice and mellow. But there are people who just from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. are one joint after the next. And they have bongs and... Edibles, that's the other thing now. Yeah. I don't smoke marijuana. I only use edibles. You know, yeah. it's like, okay. Oh, okay, that's whatever. better. I guess. I, you know, I'm not going to eat that stuff. Um, but it, it, there, people now have been doing this since the 60s. And so yes. they're my age or, or older. Yes. And, you know, they don't have all cylinders firing anymore. And I think that this is something that needs to be studied even more. Yeah. Because there is definitely a link between heavy marijuana use and dementia. Right. So, you know, if you're out there and you're token away, I don't think they use that as a word anymore, toke. Do they? I have not the yeah. slightest idea. Yeah. They f no. They fire it up. Blaze it up. Okay. That's, that's from uh, Step Brothers. Now, you mentioned something yeah. just a moment ago. They really have to study this. Now, every now and then I hear or read about a clinical study that's, you know, they're, we're doing a clinical study on this new, yeah. and they're, we're, we need 500 patients. Well, you need more than that. All right. So you need 5,000 patients they can to get, take this. 
they could get 5,000 patients who are heavy metal. In a heartbeat. And, and the problem is, is that the way that you want to study things is you do it prospectively. So you take 5,000 people and give them the placebo. Yes. And 5,000 people and give them the real thing. They yeah. can't do that with marijuana. You know whether you smoked marijuana or if you smoked a placebo. Plus, what would they put in the placebo? I guess you could use hemp. You know that doesn't have THC. That's no, but the that no, component. but that, see, that's the thing. <clears throat> it would it would throw off the research results. Right. I don't know, but what they need to do is test, is study heavy marijuana users and compare them to others of very similar disposition, and see if their brains are messed up. You know, do MRI scans and PET scans, but I, and I I bet they will be. Um, you know, I have no objection to occasional marijuana use, but these people who are like constant i mean you know is it 24 7 and imbibing thc products my question is isn't it pretty much a standard message that anything you do from 8 a.m to 10 o'clock at night that might be mildly bad for you yeah is probably a wrong habit. Yeah. I mean, I love an occasional Snickers bar, yeah. but if I ate them from eight in the uh, morning yeah. to ten at night, I couldn't expect well, to I, be healthy. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, is for, you know, I told you about yesterday. I had the sugar high. That's what I did. I mean, I was Im- imbibing sugar from eight a.m. until I left the office at four p.m. And, right. fr- and Fridays are my are my weekday. We're going to talk to Bill and Raleigh for Absolutely. for just a moment, but and then. I want somebody, uh, we want to bring up this sugar high thing because I'm having a hard time picking a soda. I need a diet soda, and I can't, there's no machine that will sell me the right thing. Really? Why is that? Yeah, well, it's because of my advice I got from a doctor. But Uh-oh. All right. Bill in Raleigh, welcome to the show. Hello, Bill. Hello, Dave. Uh, Dr. Weefall. Hey. Uh, another great show, and uh, you don't know how much I appreciate what you you do for uh, the general public, especially after working all week. And, uh, you know, I, I just hope you take care of yourself. I got two questions for you. Have you heard about Mark Cuban's drug company? Oh, I'm sorry. Say that again. Mark Cuban's drug company. Oh, yeah. I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm really excited about it. What about you? I am, too. I, I watched him on an interview last night and on uh, um, I'm a Poor and company yeah and uh it, if you get a chance take a look at that interview yeah i'll look at the interview um people need to know mark cuban is the owner of the dallas mavericks mm-hmm. okay and you know how he made his money he mm. made his money off of a defunct satellite uh company he was going to make this is way back when he wanted high definition satellite tv mm-hmm. and there wasn't any Mm-hmm. So he put up a couple satellites. I borrowed some money from his mom, put up a couple satellites, and made a high-definition TV channel. He sold mm-hmm. it for a billion bucks. So now he's worth about $4 billion. Now, he's, this is a good idea if you're a $4 billionaire and you got some money to burn. Oh, yeah. He is creating a nonprofit um, uh, mail-order pharmacy. Yeah. So you can get your metoprolol for 2 bucks. Ooh. Now, here's the problem. Everything starts out, you know, with wide-eyed wonder. I'm hoping this really is going to happen. Now, the problem is not the generics, however. I mean, I can get a generic medication through GoodRx for four bucks, no, for two bucks. 
So if that's what he's promising just for the generics, you know, generic atorvastatin and generic metoprolol, he's really not doing us a favor. Mm-hmm. What we really need are the expensive medications. So, for example, Trulicity, which is an injectable anti-diabetic and anti-weight medication. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got patients who can get it for ten bucks for their from certain insurance companies, and then others it's three hundred bucks. Right. So, if he can, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, please, please, be, before you go too far. Into no, go ahead. Planning, Tell please, me. Please take a look at this interview. Um, last night's interview. On uh, uh, Amapur, Christina Amapur. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure that's uh-huh. CNN. CNN. On yeah. C- CNN, well, uh, PBS. But the other question oh. I had for you is, have you heard of the book? Uh, definitely, I'd like your opinion about this. It's written by a David A. Sinclair, Ph.D. The name of the, the title of the book is Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have to. It, uh, it's a book... It, I looked it up on the web, and all they do is they try to push all these supplements on you. And, and uh, uh, my thinking is that uh, they're trying to do away with food. We don't need food anymore. All we need to do is take a pill. Huh. Uh, but I, I would like for you to uh, comment on that if, if you get a chance or if you think it's worthwhile. Yeah, again, I, 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 I pulled it up right now. It's by this guy. And and uh, you said, uh, I'm going to have to read about it. Um, it's about... You know, his concept is why do we age and do we have to age? And that aging is a disease. I mean, that's what he's saying. Aging is a disease. Um, so I have to read about it. Um, there, you know, the, the, the way we know that aging can go in different ways is that there are people who live to be 117 mm-hmm. and they smoke and drink and eat, eat Snickers bars. And then there are people who jog and eat seaweed and never smoke and who die at age 61 or right. 52. Right. So there is, and that's the thing that hasn't been studied that much is aging. Now, you know who's, gonna, who's studying aging right now is Jeff Bezos, the guy from Amazon. And he created a company now that is, the goal is to not let us die anymore, <laughs> to live forever, anti-aging. <laughs> so let me read this book. And um, I will do it. I'll get it from Amazon, and we'll read it, and I'll talk about it. The guy's from Harvard, you know, so he's got a position. (laughs) Yeah. If he'd been from Princeton, I would have liked it better, but I'm going to read this book and get back to you because aging is something that I think that we need to understand more um, because certainly, you know, living longer lives and living better lives. In other words, I don't want to be 100 and have been sick for 20 years in, in a wheelchair. Amen. I want to be 100 and then die quickly uh, of a painless disease, right? Amen. If there is one. Thank you. Yay, listen, thanks for calling. Bill, thank yeah. you. Call thank center you. time. All right. Carry we're, on. All right. Yeah, we're going to pick up with Jerry in just a moment. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Now back to Heart Health. Have a question for Dr. Weefald? Call 919-860-9783. Listen to Heart Health Radio on Apple Podcasts and at hearthealthradio.com. Jerry in Winston-Salem. Jerry in Winston-Salem, thank you for calling and welcome back to the show. And I'm going to push that button as soon as I figure out how to push it. Oh, there you go. Hi, Jerry. Hey, how are you guys? Good. What's going on? 
I have a question about cholesterol and risk of heart disease. I just had my annual physical, and I have a chart here with results from past several years. Yeah, sure. And my doc feels like I need to be on a stat. Okay. The numbers here, you can give me some insight into that. Okay. So on LDL, two years ago it was 110. Uh, this year it was 141. I'm 60, about 213 pounds. Overall good health except for this. How old are you? I'm six. I'll be 64 in July. Okay, you probably told me that. I didn't hear. But um, okay, and have you had any? Um, and I'm not saying you need them, but have you had any studies uh, of your heart, like a stress test, or have you had an ultrasound of the arteries to your brain, carotid dopplers, or have you had a I CT scan? Not. None of that stuff. Okay, let me ask you another question. Do you smoke? No. Okay, is your dad alive and have your mother, sister, father, or brother had a premature heart attack, say, before the age of 65? My folks are deceased, not from heart attacks. Okay. I had a grandmother on my maternal side, and he would have been, he had a, he had evidently a massive heart attack, and it would have been around 60 or so. Okay, yeah. Um, the, the, the questions I'm asking have to do with what we call risk factors. Now, no diabetes, is that right? That's correct. And because you said you didn't have any health problems. Um, how much do you exercise? Not near enough. I'm, okay. I'm moderate. Okay. So what we're talking about are the risks factors for having either a stroke or a heart attack. And you really have only one, and that's your male gender. Okay. So men are higher risk than women. You don't have diabetes. You don't have high blood pressure. Um, you don't smoke. Um, you may, you know, get off your butt a little bit more and walk around, you know, and do some exercise. This is the $64,000 question, is who needs a statin and who doesn't? I suspect, and the you know powers that be who study this from Duke and Johns Hopkins, et cetera, um, think that we over-prescribe, and we may very well do. Um, statins are wonderful medications. Uh, about 10% of people have real side effects um, from them, probably less than that. They're very, very, very powerful and wonderful drugs. We've dropped our death rate from stroke and heart attack, mainly because of these drugs, but also decreased smoking, correction of diabetes. But I think the number one reason why we've really dropped the death rate is uh, from heart attack is from statin. So, but you don't want to take anything you don't need to take. Right. Okay. So we're looking for more information about what to do, whether to take it or not to take it. One of these ways is something we call a coronary CT scan, and that is looking for calcium buildup in the arteries to the heart. Now, that's how I discovered my blockage, mm -hmm. is that I had a, a whole bunch in the Widowmaker area, in the left anterior descending, and I took my cholesterol, my LDL. Yours is not that bad. I mean, you know, they're talking about 100, you know, being the level you shoot for. Mine was 178. And I couldn't get it down with a statin. So I finally went on this medication, Repatha. It's an injectable thing, and it lowers your cholesterol in a different way from a statin. I got mine down to 11. I'm not mm -hmm. talking about 111. I'm talking about 11. And my blockages essentially went away. Okay, so um, the, the calcium goes away when the blockage goes away, and it's now my score is like 6.
Okay. So um, one of the ways also you can tell whether you really should have a statin is something called a carotid Doppler analysis. And that's when they use an ultrasound on your neck to determine whether there's a buildup of cholesterol there. And then, you know, basically I would recommend a statin in that situation. So if you're listening from the medical board, I'm not diagnosing you. What I'm saying is a patient like you who is asymptomatic, who doesn't have a lot of risk factors, you have two out of, say, 10. And the most important in my mind is the family history, which only counts if it's a primary relative, so mother, father, sister, or brother. Um, What I might recommend to a patient like you is to get this coronary CT scan. And then you can take those results to your doctor, and your doctor can interpret them. And based on your risk of developing a heart attack in the future, which correlates directly with how much calcium is in the artery to the heart, then then he or she, your doctor, can decide whether to put you on a statin or not. Now, do I put everybody on statins? No, I don't. Um, If somebody has a cholesterol of, say, 110 and have zero risk factors and they're young, I basically say, let's do diet first and exercise. And if they smoke, I say, quit the cigs and see what happens. Um, There are people who are 35 years old that I put on a statin right away. And who are they? The diabetics, the hypertensives, the ones who smoke, um, I tell them to quit smoking, um, the ones who are sedentary, and they have a high cholesterol. I, if they're 35 years old, I'll put them on a medicine right away. Right. Because diabetics should all be on cholesterol medications. They're at such high risk for heart disease. Um, and so, again, it is not a one-size-fits-all. Um, what, what someone like you may want to do is spend 70 bucks. Uh, that's how much a coronary CT scan costs. You can call up any number of places. Raleigh Radiology will do it for eighty bucks. Yeah, um, I don't. Yeah, and insurance doesn't pay, and I don't know why. Um, because this is a, one of the best ways to determine your risk and whether you need to have a statin or not. Um, so that's something that someone like you might do. Um, I can't tell you whether to take the statin, but I can educate about who needs a statin and also say, you know, we really don't have an answer about patients like you. It's not out of the question that his doctor would be advocating oh, for him no, to take no, a no. statin. But what I'm trying to say is, in, in, and I think patients um, should be the final arbiters right. of whether they take a medication. And, and this is my job on this show, is to educate, educate. So these are the questions you can bring back to your doctor. I can't tell you whether to take it or not, but I can tell you why there's a controversy and, and what you might do if uh, there's a patient like you, I might recommend them getting a coronary CT scan or getting a carotid ultrasound. Now, you know that w- these companies, Life something or other, yeah. they go to the churches and they do these things. They do an ultrasound, an EKG. Yeah. They check your cholesterol and they do a quick and dirty carotid ultrasound. I actually think those are a good idea. Yeah. Um, because you can get a collection of, of data that tells you whether your risks are that high or not. But don't act upon anything until you've talked to your personal physician right. about all the data and put it all together. And um, if you, your doctor has recommended you to be on a statin, sit down and say, I heard from Dr. Weefald, these are the risks. Do I really need it? And, and that can only help you. Jerry, uh, thank you very knowledge. much.
Have a great day. Appreciate it. Janice in Willow Springs. Janice, we might not be able to get you on and get the, the well, we doctor's opinion over, right? Yeah. Right, right away, but hang on with us. Janice, what's going on? Hello, Janice. Uh-oh, she might have hung up about what she said. Yeah, yeah, might have. I'm going to try this one more time. Janice in Willow Springs, how you doing? Okay. That's a strong indication of no one there. Yeah. Uh, Liz in Mebane. Liz, how are you? Hi. Hi there. Fine today. Thank you. Good. What's I up? I have a question. I had a heart attack way back in 11. I was, I've been in AFib a lot. They okay. did a cardioversion, got me out of AFib. I've been in normal sinus rhythm five and a half months, flipped back into AFib. Okay. In spite of being on amiodarone and metoprolol, et mm-hmm. cetera, et cetera. So went in for a cardioversion last week, and on the table, this other doctor whom I did not know appeared and said, we don't think it's a good idea to do your cardioversion today. We're worried about a stroke. Okay. And we need to make a difference and get your, there's a difference in the rate and the rhythm, and we need to get your rate down. Hmm. Now, let's put time that they have made any distinction between the two. Yeah. What's the deal? I got it. All right. If we don't get it done by 1230, um, we're going um, to continue this because yeah. this is real important. Yeah. The rate is how fast your heart's going. So a normal rate is right. 60 to 70 beats per minute. Right. The rhythm is whether the top part of the heart, the atria, are beating with in conjunction the bottom part. So you have AFib, it's, the top part is just spasming. It's just running electricity all over the place in a non-uniform fashion. And so right. the bottom part can be irregular, bum, 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 instead of bum, 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 bum. And so it sounds like your heart was really fast. Do you feel your heart in AFib? Do you feel the difference? I've been in, I've been in AFib so long, I don't feel it anymore. Yeah, you don't even I feel it. I check it several times a day with my cardio, cardio muscle. Yeah, okay, great. And I can tell you exactly what it is. All right, don't go away. We're going to take a break to uh, have yeah. the uh, things we do at the break, and news. then we're coming back to we you. We call it news. Because this is real important. So don't go away, sweetheart. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefald. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation by listening to Heart Health Radio. Liz in Mebane. Liz, you were halfway through a story, and the doctor was... Yeah, so I want to go back and ask you a question. So they were all set and ready to hook you up the jumper cables, and they said, whoa, let's stop. Is that what happened? Yeah, were they going to do the ultrasound probe down your throat called the transesophageal echo, too? No, I asked about that because they did last time. Yeah. Because they said I had skipped the dose of Eliquis. Oh, okay. What's the blood center you're on? Eloquist twice a day. Eloquist. Eloquist. Two times I, you a know, day. my hearing is bad, sweetie, so that's that's not your fault. It's my fault. And Liz, okay. I want to apologize for the doctor because he keeps calling you sweetie. Yeah, am I going to get in trouble for that? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. You know, and I'm not condescending. That's what somebody said on Apple Podcasts that I'm con. I'm just trying to be nice. Okay. You know? Yeah, go ahead. But anyway, and it's, that's, I do that all the time. 
I will say sweetheart right. or sweetie. It's, it's, it's all right, darling. Just continue with the all phone right. call. <laughs> At least I'm not saying honey or babe. Um, did they talk about an ablation for you? Inflation? What is no, that? ablation. Ablation. Yeah, they're, they're, inflation is making ablations more expensive. But did they ever yeah. talk about just getting rid of this AFib once and for all with uh, something called an ablation? I've had three ablations. Oh, prior. I thought you said cardioversion. Oh. Well, you're just one of those toughies. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Amiodarone, have they talked to you about that? About how the I'm side- on it. Yeah, but have they talked to you about the potential side effects? No, they haven't. Okay. And so, I'm worried about Yeah, let me tell you about that. We'll, we'll skip over to that. Amiodarone is a great medicine. It was invented by the French as an anti-anginal. Yeah. But it turned out to be not very good for anti-anginals. It's very good for AFib. Um, on amiodarone, uh, once they get you back in rhythm, it has about a 75 to 80% chance of keeping you there. Um, it's amazing how your ablations didn't work. Um, there's another type of ablation you can think about, too. But let me just do this. Um, amiodarone can be a wonderful medicine, but uh, as I have experienced, it can, it can be very dangerous. So it needs to be monitored very closely. Amiodarone can cause lung toxicity, and I had a patient um, just recently die from it. Uh, even though I caught it, uh, it the medicines to, to, to work against it, didn't, I mean, to cure it, whatever, didn't work. Hmm. It can cause hepatotoxicity, so it can make you have cirrhosis of the liver. And the most common thing that it can do is make you have a low thyroid. So, in general, there are people that I keep on amiodarone long-term because their atrial fibrillation is so symptomatic that it, um, they can't live with it. And so, the bottom line is you have to keep them on it. The ablations didn't work, just like in your case. And you have to monitor their thyroid very frequently. Um, I even get ultrasounds of the liver, and I get CT scans of the lung because I, my experience has been so tragic with it. Uh, it's a great mm-hmm. medicine. It works well. Now, let's get back to you don't feel your AFib. Is that right? You don't know that no, you're I in it. I can't tell you. Yeah. When I came from the normal sinus rhythm into AFib that day, which was January 27th, and I keep a record of everything, um, I knew something was wrong. Okay. So you felt so it. That's my fault, yeah. Yeah. And then I called the doc and said, hey, we, we've gone back into AFib. Okay. So what they're going to try to do now is put you on the amiodarone, get this medicine into the heart muscle, and then get you back in normal rhythm and and hope uh, with medicines that it doesn't go back into AFib. Uh, it might. There's about a 20% chance if they get you back. Now, they said that they didn't do the cardioversion because your rate was too high. Is that the idea? Well, they said they were worried about a stroke. And they needed to get my rate down. Okay. Well, I, you know, again, I'm not so sure why that would be said. If your rate was too high, um, I've been in that situation, and I'm not saying what your doctors did was wrong. But I've, I've cardioverted people um, who had a rate above 100 and who were in AFib because it doesn't necessarily mean that when you go back in regular rhythm after the cardioversion that you're going to be fast. Now, let me explain what a cardioversion is. Um, they put you to sleep so you don't feel the shock. Um, they put these pads on your chest, 
And I've had it. I've had it several times. Yeah, I bet. And so then what I'm just explaining for others because I know you know what's oh, going on. sorry. Yeah. And so because um, probably people are sitting there going, what's a cardioversion? Anyway, so they put these pads on your chest. Um, and then when you're asleep, they fire an electric current of a certain um, amount of energy. We call it joules. Um, and... You know, basically what it does is, is it eliminates all the electricity going on in the heart, and then it allows the normal one to come back. And sometimes you have to shock people a couple of times to make it work. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's very successful in getting uh, someone back in normal rhythm. Um, but then again, medications need to be given most of the time to maintain the rhythm. So, uh, as far as what to do next, I think that they're on the right track. Did they increase your beta blocker, your metoprolol, to try to get the heart rhythm, heart rate down? 50 and 25. Yeah. And then the other thing you can use, and a lot of people don't use it anymore, is a medicine called digoxin. And what that does is it slows the electrical rate of flow between the top part that's quivering and the bottom part. And I'll use that sometimes temporarily to get the rhythm down a little bit. The problem with all this stuff is medication interactions. Okay, so amiodarone and digoxin can work together and raise the levels and get you toxic. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so glad I don't use warfarin much anymore, is you wouldn't believe the number of drugs who mess up your warfarin level. Mm. Um, they interact with warfarin, the amiodarone does, digoxin does. Uh, Leviquin, which is an antibiotic, woo, that'll shoot it up way high. Yeah. So it sounds like they're doing the right stuff. Um, did they get another appointment with you to see if your heart rate's down coming up? Well, I see the doctor in another week. Okay. Well, let us know what happens. There is, um, you've probably had the ablations from inside the heart. Is that right? You've had yeah. the tubes come yeah. up. Um, ask your doctor, and again, I'm not saying this is what you need, but ask your doctor about something called convergent ablation. And we used to think that all the electrical abnormalities were on the inside of the heart, which is why we you know, burn those tissues on the inside. But there is something called convergent ablation where they actually also do on the outside of the heart a, a couple of burns. Um, and that is a little more invasive. You need to go through a keyhole outside the chest and go up outside the heart. But sometimes the convergent ablation uh, is to say you do the, both the inside and the outside at the same time can be a little more effective for people. So ask about that. Just see what they say. You might not be a candidate for it. I don't know. Liz, thank you. And good luck. Call us back and let us know how that rhythm's doing. Now, you have one of those devices where you check your own rhythm, right? You put your fingers yes, on the sir. pad. Yeah. That's a great yes. thing. Yeah. It All is. Right. It does work. Liz, thank you. Have a great day. All right, take care. This is Heart Health Radio. You're with Dr. Franklin Weefald. You can get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation just by listening to this show. And maybe have a laugh or two. I, th well, I yeah, more than one. Yeah. Uh, during the today's show. Yeah. All right. So I have been told because of my kidney problems yeah. that I should not drink dark sodas. I, you know, I've heard that. I don't know. You don't know. Okay. I don't so I'm know. So I'm going to go back to my uh, nephrologist okay. and double check. Because, and find out why. Uh, here's a weird thing. Yeah. We talk sometimes about how, you know, you go to see somebody and then they send you to somebody else. I 
I went to the doctor. He diagnosed me, gave me my numbers, and told me what I need to do. And then he sent me to another person, and I thought it was going to a nutritionist. Who'd you go to? It was like a social worker. And she was, and I don't say that. I don't say that in a negative way like, oh, I'm looking down on social workers. It's just that I didn't need a social worker at that, that time. She was setting me up for the concept that I might need, um, what is the the the, the blood thing, the, the blood dialysis, dialysis, right? Your, uh, Which I don't uh, need. I don't need, uh, and I've been told that I don't need it. But her attitude was, all right. Here's a booklet with all the options. Do you need any help to navigate these options? I'm like shaking my head. I'm like, my doctor told me I don't need it. What's your blood type? I don't know. If you're A positive, yeah. And they say your kidney is bad. Okay. I'm giving you mine. Oh, my gosh. I got two. I, yeah, I know, but I'm and not. listen, I'm not going to do this show with you hooked up to a machine, okay? No, no, no. No, no. no they've got these. They've got this overnight. Um, yeah, I it's looked called at, peritoneal dialysis. Peritoneal dialysis, yeah. that thing. Yeah. It's yeah. got, they put a hole in my belly. Yeah, and, into and the then, peritoneum. And, and then they infuse fluid. Yeah. And they basically use the peritoneum sure. to get rid of the bad stuff. Yeah. And then it just gets flushed out. Sounds like a great system. It's called a nocturnal cycler. I don't need it. You don't. But I think it may be the social worker told me not to drink dark sodas. All right. It might not have been the doctor. I'm confused, you know, because okay. I, I get to be my age, I get confused about things. But anyway, I go to the machines, and I'm stuck with, between Diet Dr. Pepper and Diet Coke, and I'm not sure which one would be better. I know I'm supposed well, to have... The Diet Mountain Dew. Yeah. Okay, here, right, that, I got the answer. You got the answer? Please Phosphorus. Do. Phosphorus. Yeah, is that what it is? The dark ones have a lot of phosphorus. Phosphorus. In it. But you know, phosphorus only becomes a problem when your kidney function is really bad. So there are lots of phosphorus things. If you're on dialysis, for example, yeah. and you can't poop, you should not use a fleet cinema. Well, there you go. Because fleets. That's the kind of information. Phosphorus. That's the kind of information I really uh, wanted here's today. Here's what I want to know. So I want to know. I want to know what your creatinine is every week. No, not every week. You won't get it drawn every week. But you remember my what last, it was? It was three last point one something was, or other. Right. No, my and last one was, was two point three. All right. So it's coming down. All right. Well, okay. theoretically, yeah. But I'm, you know. Yeah. But it, it had ever been that high like a year ago. To, nobody ever said anything about your kidney a year no, ago. No. No. It was just. After the surgery, right? After your open heart surgery. That might have been it. Sure. But but everything over the last year has been after my surgery. I guess. Listen, I got Bob in Raleigh. Hey, Bob. Hey, Bob. Welcome to got, the show. Got uh, one question and one comment. You Say, go ahead. Go ahead. Question. Doctor, uh, are you familiar with dip, imipramine? Imipramine? Yeah, I am. I am. I am. It's a, it's a tricyclic antidepressant. Exactly. Yeah. Now, are you aware of any off-label uses? Yeah, a bunch. Okay. Really? Well, the the okay. I'm going to talk about the label usage, and the yeah. label usage is for depression, mm-hmm. and there are tricyclic antidepressants. You should take them at night mm-hmm. because one of the things that can happen is it can make your blood pressure fall when you stand up. 
The other thing that they're used for are neuropathies. So if you're, you know, diabetes and it's burned out your nerves and your feet hurt, you can use it for that. Um, is that what you were asking, or is there another no, off label? I want to know if you have ever known of uh, a GI problem that's been addressed with this particular drug. I don't. Um, what have you heard? Well, I knew what the drug was in general, yeah. and I knew it's... Well, it's used for IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome. Ah, there but you go. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I was thinking maybe it was something else, you know, like um, diarrhea or something. But irritable bowel—well, that is diarrhea. Uh, irritable bowel syndrome is when you either have you can't poop or you poop too much and you have a lot of discomfort. And they think that it might be a neuropathic problem in the sense that your nerves, your autonomic nerves, that help your gut has a brain. Believe it or not, it help you know think about it. All this stuff going on in there with the motion of the bowel and the input of you know enzymes and stuff. So they think that um, it can be used for irritable bowel syndrome. Now you want to tell me? I tell you the truth. I mean, in 35 years of doing both internal medicine. And uh, cardiology, I don't see a whole lot of irritable bowel syndrome. Um, it's tough because it, it's really tough to get rid of. Um, there's lots of new medicines for it. Um, uh, Linzess. If you're, yeah. I've been through all those. Oh, you've been. Well, have you tried the amipramine? Is it working? No. I just okay. saw the man two days ago. Yeah. Well, I don't have it yet because he wants to consult with my primary care guy who's in the same practice. Right. There are uh, certain people who think that you need to be careful um, with amipramine in terms of cardiac issues. Well, somebody's um, taking a low-dose Wellbutrin, and, you know, yeah, yeah. that's 2 plus 2 equals 10, Yeah, potentially. Do you mainly have constipation or diarrhea, or you have both? I have distress. Uh-huh. I have a basketball in my stomach all the time. Yeah. And... Uh, weird bowel movements. Yeah. And always at the same time, I got a day-to-day pattern that's uh-huh. terribly consistent. Well, you probably had a workup up the wazoo, as they say. I mean, right. you probably had a tremendous CT scans and endoscopies and stuff. Where do you, where do you have anorectal manometry? You talk about fun. Uh, I don't know, but it sounds terrible. They <laughs> got to put a pressure thing up your... your uh, yeah. I was about to say something. Balloon up the wazoo. Up the side of you. Yeah. Okay, well, I got home after the consult, did a lit search, and read about this stuff, and I couldn't find anything GI-related, number one, but yeah. number two, more importantly, this drug sounds scary. When you look at all the restrictions, the counterindications, yeah. Yeah. the side effects... you got to be careful yeah, with these medicines, yeah. Weary. Literally. Yeah, they are, they are something you got to be careful with. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay, okay let me move on. Second item. Uh, you get a lot of callers about statins. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got to tell you real quick, my experience, I'm, I'm a research guy by uh-huh. profession, and I've had hyperlipidemia since they invented it. Okay. I went through every statin known to man, I think, mm-hmm. and it finally dawned on me, mix and match. Well, most statins have the same metabolic pathway, mm-hmm. you know, so mixing them is Yeah, no, Zetia is a, a good drug, yeah. That, you know, totally different metabolic pathway. Right. I don't know pharmacokinetics all that well. Yeah, yeah. But I'm thinking, this is cool. 
maybe we mix and match with Vedia, we get some kind of synergism. Uh-huh. Sure. And lo and behold, my numbers drop like a stone. Yeah. So I, let, it's amazing. I yeah. take, I alternate the two every day. That's great. Well, uh, the statins work on a enzyme uh, in your liver called right. HMG CoA reductase hydroxymethylglutarol or something like that. So your liver produces a ton of cholesterol every day. Cholesterol is necessary to keep the um, the cell walls uh, in your body um, uh, stable. So the way Zadia works, it's the only medicine of its kind that prevents your gut from absorbing too much cholesterol. So the combination of a statin and Zadia, I use a lot. So for example, somebody's had a heart attack and their LDL was uh, 160, and I put them on a statin, I get it down to 80. Well, I'll add 10 to Zadia, and boom, it's real nice, 50 or so. So you're right, uh, Zadia's a great drug. Um, I wish I just, it were you. I just wasn't sure anybody had approached it from that angle before. I'm sorry, what are you saying? I mean. He wasn't sure that people approached it from that angle. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Zedia, I, in fact, Zedia is the drug you go to first if somebody can't tolerate a statin. Yeah. And it's great. Um, there's another uh, new medicine out called Nexlazet, and it has Zedia in it, plus another medication. And I keep forget. I'm old now. But it works to prevent the liver from producing cholesterol, but it's not a statin. Mm-hmm. So people who have had statin problems can take Nexlazet, and it has two of the combinations. One, it lowers the amount of cholesterol the liver produces, but it also prevents you from absorbing cholesterol in the food you eat. So I think you're right. Nexium's a great, I mean, uh, uh, Zadia's a great drug, wonderful drug. All right, Bob, thank you. Okay, you guys take care. Take right. care. Bye-bye. This is Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Well- You know you make me wanna shout, kick my heels up and shout, throw my hands up and shout, throw my head back and shout. Come on now, don't forget to This is the Heart Health know. Radio Network, FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF. We got another, nobody to shout out, but I do. Robert Califf. Yeah? I want to shout out Rob Califf. Okay. Um, in case you don't know, um, Rob Califf was just confirmed by a very narrow vote in the mm-hmm. Senate yeah. to be the FDA commissioner. This is his second go-round. The first time, he was like 96 to 4. Uh, he was there for nine months at the end of Obama's term right. as FDA commissioner. Now, the reason why he was so controversial for some was his, quote-unquote, ties to the uh, pharmaceutical industry. And I want to clear up, Rob and I uh, have known each other since, gosh, 1987, yeah. when he was an early professor, you know, assistant professor at Duke, and I was a, uh, a cardiology fellow. And I worked with him uh, a little bit on, on getting, you know, some of his talks together. He became an extremely important cardiologist and yeah. guy because he approached, you know, um, drug trials scientifically. The con- and I forget what he used to say. He says, you just... You know, give the drug to uh, half the people and a placebo to the other half the people, and then you count the bodies. That was his, you know, way of, <laughs> oh, of no. saying. He's joking. And he had a, a good sense of humor, and he became very famous in clinical research. And the thing is, the way he got uh, these studies done was by working with drug companies, okay? Yeah. So I can tell you right now, there is nobody that I would trust more 
to do the honest thing than Ron Califf. And, and, you know, when these drug companies would pay the Duke Research Institute to do these trials, he was very strict. Yeah. You can't know ahead of time. So Pfizer's drug. Hey, Pfizer, don't even ask me, okay? You can't know nothing about the workings of this study. You can't have any influence on this study until the answer's in. Right. And if your drug fails, tough toenails. Right. And so there were a lot of drugs that he studied that failed, and he had no hesitation, despite how much Pfizer or some other drug company had paid to do the study. I'm really glad he's in there. Now, he's a Democrat. Okay, which is obvious because he was with Obama and now Biden. But I also think that he's very apolitical when Mm -hmm. it comes to the science of these drugs and whether things should be done in a certain way. Now, it's also controversial for him because when he was head of the FDA, they approved, I think, a couple of new opioids. And I think he is now under the gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, to try to address this opioid thing. I will say this. I got an email from the FDA the other day. Mm-hmm. Okay, And they are the DEA and the FDA have admitted they've gone overboard on, on restrictions of opioids for certain classes of people. There are people with chronic pain. And mm-hmm. I know that, you know, we've been told send them to, you know, acupuncture and physical therapy. Don't give them opioids. I can tell you right now that's not the way to do it. There are some people whose pain is so bad and so constant, and the only way they can live is with a daily opioid four times a day. And I take care of them. I've got heart patients whose backs have been broken in four places. They've had six surgeries, and they're in constant pain. And the problem is there's no way that I can put my hand on their, on their shoulder and, and know the pain they're in. You know, it doesn't transfer up my arm. Mm-hmm. And so I was, you know, under the gun from the medical board and I was under the gun from people in, in practice. And I never gave up on these folks. I did not restrict their opioids. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, it was the worst thing I've seen in a long time when these doctors got so scared that they were gonna lose their licenses by continuing to prescribe opioids. They just stopped them. Yeah. And these patients, uh, there were a lot of suicides. So, so where are we A lot of suicides when these people got their opioids taken away. So, so the you, FDA has said, okay, all right, you can give it to these people and we won't come knocking on your door trying to take away your license. I mean, I had the DEA show up at my door and they, two, two DEA officers with guns on. Um, and as soon as I showed them my notes and showed them patients, they said, you're fine, and they walked away. Um, doctors who prescribe opioids are not drug pushers. You have to be very careful, and there are certain rules. Um, you have to check the urine to make sure they're taking them and not diverting them. You have to see them once a month and gauge their mental status, make sure they're not suicidal, they're not going to overdose, and you have to count their pills. Mm-hmm. And this is how you can do it safely. And I do it safely. And uh, not all doctors who prescribe opioids are, are drug pushers. Now, there are some, but it's very rare. All and right. they're going to get caught and they're going to go to jail. This is Heart Health Radio. Have a great week.